are you working too many days and too many hours? Should we all be working a four-day work week? This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine and viewfinders. Without a doubt, one of the toughest topics that we all must tackle in our real lives is working too much. Are you working too long, too many days, not enough time out? Oh boy, we want to talk about that. But before we get into it, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, you and I were discussing this Microsoft study that they took workers in Japan and they said, you know what? Instead of working the traditional five-day work week, nine to five, so to speak, let's see what happens if we just cut it to four. I mean, same number of hours, nine to five, so to speak. But would that impact our productivity? Would it save us money? Would it make us money? And Becky, it did. They said that they got a productivity boost of 40%. They saved on electricity by 23%. They printed nearly 60% fewer pages of work documents. And it was a big success. Now, I want to talk about how we can apply that to our own practices, but I also want to point out one important thing that didn't make the news as much with this Microsoft story. And that was, they said, hey, if we're going to cut back to these four day work weeks, we got to slash the meetings, right? Because we all know that inner office meetings can sometimes crush us, especially if you work in an industrial or corporate setting. And so they said every meeting, it's going to go from the standard 60 minutes to 30 minutes, and we want half of those, okay? So I thought that was brilliant. So Becky, are we working too much? <laughs> Personally, absolutely. But you know, I, I I do think so. And I think the idea of the four, like, first of all, we want to say in an office environment, obviously, it's very different than a clinical environment, right? Like we understand that there are a lot more control factors when you work in a cube and and you have X amount of output required uh, during the week. And the the idea and the concept from, you know, a psychology standpoint, what they say when we input these four day work weeks into place is people get more productive because they still know they have to get their work done. At the end of the day, we are, are all there to, to complete the task. And um, so with these employees, they knew that they had less time to get what they still needed to get done done. And so they became more productive instead of falling behind with these extra hours off. And then, of course, you have this increased productivity because people are happier. They're they're better rested. They've got more time with their family. Their cup is full. Right. And so then they don't have that. um I don't want to say resentment, but, you know, maybe more lackadaisical opinion about when I get it done, I get it done. Well, I want to share with you viewfinders. And if you've listened to me lecture or read my articles over the years, there's a couple of things that have come through. The first thing is the old saying is so true. Work expands to fill the time. And so I used to always write these articles saying, look, you know, we got to really watch like what's happening in the very first part of the day and the very end of the day, because sometimes people can kind of hang out and quote unquote milk the clock. Not saying it's ever happened in your clinic, but I've seen it happen in mine. So work expands to fill the time. And the Microsoft approach was, well, hey, would that same work contract if we, you know, can we, can we, you know, if we shorten the time, do we do less work? And they found, of course, that they didn't. They actually got more done, like Becky said. The second thing I think is really important to note is this four day work week. What Becky is saying is so true. It allows you time to decompress, to de-stress, to rejuvenate. And Becky, are we also experiencing a, a generational switch? Because, you know, I used to always say, 
Boomers, if you want to reward a boomer, give them a dollar. If you want to reward a Gen X or a millennial, give them a day off. Yeah. Is that really what Microsoft did? I, I think so. Personally, I think it has a lot to do with it. And, you know, it's funny because we categorize with boomers and millennials and, and we talk about kind of, um, you know, how hard are, the older, quote unquote, older generations worked. Um, and, and, you know, but I've read a lot about kind of that pushback that says, I, I can think of so many circumstances where people of the the forward generation said, you know, I, I want I work this hard, so hard so you don't have to. Um, and then that's exactly what they got. And and so it, it, this generation really was um, raised to respect their personal time and that they were really told, like, I'm working so hard so you don't have to. I'm working so hard so you can get an education and, and be out there and and do what you need to do. So um you know, I do think that this is generational, but I think it's also been a long time coming. And again, viewfinders, if you're of my generation, we were called the slackers. Now, millennials, you got it just as badly as we did, right? I mean, we were all called lazy, didn't want to do anything. But what we were really striving for was that opportunity to to spend quality personal time with our friends, our family, you know, pursuing hobbies or other interests. And we worked our fannies off when we were at work. And that's the part of the conversation that, that I think needs to be repeated. Now, here's what happens. And Becky, I really want to get your input on it. What will happen is a boss will say, well, hey, you know, Ernie, that sounds great, but I work in a vet clinic, so it'll never work here. That's going to be the first barrier. The second thing they're going to say is, you know, I can't get my staff out of here. You know, like they, they won't leave. Like, yeah. so, so explain those two tenets of it. First of all, they're understaffed for what's happening in the clinic at the time, right? So we know that uh, that staff shortages are a huge problem and they are aside from this conversation, right? We can't take every consideration and every factor and every stumbling block into consideration on a baseline conversation in 30 minutes, right? So we know that this is sort of foundational. Um, staffing shortages are a, a huge problem, but then also misutilization of staff. I mean, you can ask the majority of any credential technician out there, they will say, Maybe they are not underutilized, but they know um, the majority of our profession is being underutilized. And because of that, there can be time management issues in the clinic. And so part of the reason um, I feel like for, for some of us is you can't get us out of there is because the work is never done. And the work is not done because the time is not managed in a way that makes you feel like it's done and you can walk away. And to, to that point, a lot of the reason is because you don't want to walk into it tomorrow. And so, you know, if I come in tomorrow or if worse, I'm off tomorrow, if I don't get all of this done, they're going to be ringing my phone on my day off or calling me or somebody else is going to have to deal with it. So I think this really boils down to management and time management issues in the clinic um, that result in, in staff basically needing to continually be there to try to keep things going because, um, one, they're not going to get done. But then also, you know, it's, it's a culture thing. You know, there's there's this it's it's in our personality and we have this work culture of no lunches, work hard, work long hours, be there always. And um, part of that's who we are. Right. And, and again, viewfinders, we want to hear your experiences and opinions on this, because I think that it is so easy to take advantage of good veterinary support staff, because like yeah. Becky said, they're committed. They're dedicated. They love this. They're actually not doing it for you, the boss or the manager. They're doing it for the pets that they love and serve. So, yeah. you know, I, 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 that's the part that's always irked me the most. And so first and foremost, Becky, you're 100% on this. 
This is a management, an owner responsibility. This is why if you are working at a corporate entity like a Banfield, perhaps, I mean, they are taking this stuff a lot more seriously. They are attracting some of the best of the next generation of workers. So Becky, again, are we not telling independent clinics out there today, this is something you should be paying close attention to because your competitors are. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, and, and listen, this is the thing. I see it all the time on technician sites where technicians are working in corporate entities and they'll say like, I hate the corporate world, but I'm making the best money I've ever made. I've got vacation. I've got retirement. I have a good work-life balance and they're able to achieve that work-life balance. So, you know, they'll basically take a, a less than ideal working environment as long as there's, there's good medicine and they know that they can do good medicine. So, um, it's absolutely something that needs to be looked out for. And we know that there is this like veterinary generational gap thing of like, you know, um, this this generation that's looking for work-life balance and this generation that prides himself on imbalance. And, you know, that's it's really a clashing seas. And um, it is causing a lot of turbulence in the veterinary industry with people like standing up for their own personal right to have work-life balance. And then other people who who just feel like it's a it's a, you know, a badge of pride to to live in this imbalance um, in this industry. And because of that, sometimes these are the folks that end up in management and then then support staff and other members of the, the clinic are not able to get that balance or get that time. I would really challenge, you know, managers out there and clinic managers out there to look at how you do your time and how much autonomy employees have in it. I know there's a lot of folks out there who will love. And again, we're not saying you have to cut hours, but love a three to four day work week. They would just as soon go to work and knock out 12, 14, 15, 16 hour days um, and then have longer recoup time periods. And then there's other folks, um, you know, like with kids who'd rather work a, a split shift and, and giving some autonomy within the clinic is is really something we could be looking at to improve our clinic culture, which is something we're always talking about. And Becky, here's where I'm going to offer an alternate pathway. And I, I don't agree with extending your work hours. Like I think you should work an eight to 10 hour shift four days a week. Like that is what we strived for. That is what we accomplished. This becomes now one of the calculus of efficiency. So honestly, I think that if you say, well, let's do three 12 hours or four 12 hours or, or 14 hours, whatever, that's like a cop out. That's saying, you know what? I'm not good enough to manage the efficiencies and improve um, output that I'm going to say, you still got to work these long hours. Because I think, honestly, Becky, if we do these 13, 14, 15 hour shifts, oh gosh, the recovery time doesn't make it worth it. Sure. That comes from somebody who earns a salary though, and doesn't get paid hourly. And when you get paid hourly, a lot of times you can't afford to cut those hours out. So you can't say, I don't need X number of hours a week to actually pay my bills because we have support staff who are not only working four, five, six, seven days a week, but they're working these 10, 12, 14 hour shifts because of these management issues. So one thing I want to avoid is is the idea that these folks won't be able to get the hours that they need to make their bills. See, here's where we get into the conundrum, Becky. They're underpaying them on an hourly oh, yeah, wage. Yeah. So, so, so the reason that you're scrambling for these hours is because that's what you need just to get by. Sure. And I'm saying shame on us as a profession. Shame on us for continuing to perpetuate these these practices. Shame on us for not taking the health and well-being of our staffs more seriously. And that includes financial health and wellness. And, and so again, look, I get it. This is changing so rapidly. But if someone like a Banfield is able to make it work, and we can argue about scalability and efficiencies and so forth at scale. But the point is, this is the reality. Becky, we've got to do better by our staff. Oh, 
listen, if you want to put a podcast out there telling everyone to give their staff a raise and a four day work week, like guess who's first in line to publish that baby? I am with you. Like I am there. This gives um, it increases productivity. This is course. where the, the managers that get it, they understand this and it works. And the ones that go, you know what, I'm going to pay you the least amount and make sure you're working that 45, 50 hour week. That's how I get the most out of you. You're wrong. You're fooling yourself. That person yeah, yeah. is not as productive. And this is, this is leading to what I call generation burnout. When I look at this millennial, generation behind me and they are constantly having all of these issues i'm going you know what where are the where's the origin of this and look there's a lot of origins this is a complicated issue but i also have to go you know what what's my contribution as an owner as a manager it's if i'm overworking you under supporting you creating additional stress in your life you're going to be generation burnout Sure. And and honestly, I think this is a trickle down effect, right? Because our managers feel unsupported. They're not necessarily there to support the staff that they need to. Uh, when the veterinarian and the clinic owner feel unsupported, because this is a really tough industry to be in and you're getting negative reviews and you're getting X, Y, and Z, and you're working your butt off in the clinic uh, 80 hours a week, it is really hard to focus on getting other people shorter work hours. So um, I, I don't want to simplify this problem by boiling it down to as easy as just a four-day work week. But I also think that it is really important to look at, you know, um, you know, call Denise Tumblin, right? We had her on the podcast and talked about financial security and we've talked about practice benchmarks. She has some outstanding data out there that talks about giving raises through finding lost income. The fact of the matter is, is that there is income out there to cover these cost concerns that you have in missed fees and, and um, you know, productivity and um you know, frankly, compliance, right? That we are, we're missing out on. And this is your so, job as a manager, as an owner, this getting right back to that. It, it's yeah. on us, you know. It's a huge ball of wax. But the, at the end of the day too, you you begin with the end in mind and you back chain, right? So if we say then fine, the goal that we're going to begin with the end in mind with is we want to get our staff to a four day work week, then you as a manager and as a practice owner can back chain how you make that happen, what it will take to do it. it it's absolutely doable. And I guarantee you, your staff is going to be on board with brainstorming, how to make that happen and make that happen if that is something that appeals to them. And I'm, I, I can't imagine a clinic out there where it wouldn't. And again, getting back to Becky's uh, working around the reverse engineering of these problems. Here's what I do is I go, here's the problem, generation burnout. So how can we do everything in our power to prevent burnout? Because guess what? For every veterinary technician that burns out and leaves the profession, for every associate that is crippled by mental illness, depression, that's a person that is not contributing, that's not producing. So at the end of the day, that's not helping me in my clinic. And that actually boils down to finances. So here I'm going, if I'm having generation burnout problems, I'm going to go back and say, well, wait, okay, boomers, give me a dollar. Gen X millennials, give me a day off. Maybe it's as simple as figuring out how to make you more productive during the time you're on the floor. And if that means giving you more time off the floor, then it sounds like a good deal to me. Yeah, I think it's it's something... That, you know, at the end of the day, too, at, from a management standpoint and owner standpoint, if what you're doing is OK or it's working, but, it you know, it's stale and stagnant. These are the kind of things you need to be exploring and thinking about um, and, and, and talking about with your staff, because there's going to be, you know, ways and things that they wish they could have that, you know, um, got a good friend who, for example, takes a two hour lunch because she wants to go to CrossFit three days a week. And then. Her, her management has worked that out with her where she doesn't take a day off during the week, but she gets these two hour lunches. So she gets these workouts in. Um, it has improved her, you know, her dedication to this clinic and her work ethic so much because she feels like they're working with her. 
And her productivity is just that through the roof because she has gratitude. Right. Oh, and I love that story. So see, again, it's not necessarily about a four day work week. What we're actually, that's just a code for us, for us, our viewfinder family. The code is four hour work week equals working out a schedule that provides meaning and respite and recovery and restoration in your life. Yeah. And and I think that's the hardest thing when I, I see somebody who says, well, you have to work this or you have to work that. And, you know, you can't work here if you can't do that or you can't swing that. And, you know, I, I just think if you've got really hard, fast rules um, that your entire staff has to live by and there is no room for negotiation, you probably want to reconsider that. And I'll tell you, so here's some pushback that I've gotten over the years. You know, Becky, I've been a long supporter, believer, and actually this is what I implemented uh, in these types of practices. And they say, okay, Ernie, here's a couple of real world checks for you. You know, I apologize for my voice. I've been lecturing a lot the past couple of weeks, so I'm a little under the froggy voice uh, here, but um, they'll go, okay, Ernie, uh, you know what? A vet clinic is an inflexible environment at best. It's incredibly dynamic surges and waves of clients come in. So we can't, it's not predictable. Well, the first thing that I recognized early in my practice ownership back in the early 1990s was that that unpredictability, that variability was actually, you could calculate on that. So if you knew that, wow, every day was going to vary widely, well, then here's your thing. You have to accommodate within that context. So that means that, like Becky was saying, split shifts were one of the first things we did. We realized that, wow, if there are going to be these big surges, maybe we need to have waves of staff come in also. So we're not overworking the same staff member for 14 hours during the day, but we're actually like saying, okay, look, you you check out here at seven or eight hours. The next one came in, you know, a couple hours before you. So you might have some overlap during the middle of the day, which is typically when we did our surgeries, but there were solutions. So I felt like, A, the unpredictability, Becky, was actually a variable that I could account for. Sure, it's predictably unpredictable. I mean, that we we can count on that. And, you know, for the most part, if, if you're doing things right and you're um, overall doing things the best that you can, you're including your staff, you're including their opinions. Every practice is different and and have different nuances. But again, it's about being solution driven. And I guess, you know, to me, it's like a kind of a culmination of so many podcasts that we've done that it boils down to like the ability to create these flexible schedules to increase employee output. Because like you said, they will fit the time. They will get what their work needs to get done um, in the time frame they need to do it within that time frame. And, and so um, I think it does sort of just sort of, um, you know, trickle down effect of all of these different things we've said over the years to come down to there. There are better ways. My belief was the fresher the player was, the faster on the field they would be. And so we knew predictably, Becky, that within our clinics, there are going to be two big surges every day. And maybe it's the same in your clinic. If you finders, I want to hear from you. But first thing in the morning, People recognize their dog or cat was sick. It vomited, urinated you know, outside of the litter box. And so they rushed in first thing in the morning. So suddenly, even though we had a full schedule, we also had a full lobby of walk-ins. Let me hear you if you've been there, okay? Yep. So we knew that those that first morning always seemed to go better because everybody was you know, kind of fresher. It was the start of a day. Like we were humming, boom, 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 boom. But if you have that same staff that dealt with that first wave of unpredictability in the morning, well, now the second wave that we always experienced, Becky, was just around getting off work time, right? So oh, now nice. they went home, dog has shredded a, you know, a duvet and they're worried you got to do x-rays. Well, if that same person that's been there since 730 in the morning, which is when we open and it's now 530, 
they're not going to be as fresh. They're not going to be as fast on the field as I used to call it. Okay. So what I liked was if I brought in another shift in the uh, during the, our lunchish break from twelve to two. So typically shift two, number two came in, you know, around that time. Well, those people were a lot fresher, and the other people. Honestly, Becky, what we did was like you finished up that morning because a lot of those were drop-offs, admits, right? And so they kind of finished out that wave and then the next uh, group was kind of putting, bringing in the next wave. I don't know. Does that make sense to you? I mean, it was that simple to realize that splitting out a day, our days were like 14, 15-hour days, just splitting it into almost two shifts worked out really well. Yeah. And I, I've been in clinics that have done this. I've implemented this in clinics that I've been in. Um, it is something that I find is, is met with a little bit of resistance in the beginning but it makes so much sense. And there's, I, I guess, no reason not to. And I and I do feel like when you get in the habit of doing this and you implement this change, um, eventually people do get on board with it and they appreciate it. They know they're going to be able to get out of work on time. They know they're going to get their lunch. They can depend on it. it. It isn't a matter of we'll see how the day goes. And, you know, I, I guess I feel like there's no reason that in the veterinary clinic, we have to see how the day goes. And and there are times that it's going to be kind of wildly out of control. We know that. But the exceptions prove the rule. Um, they don't write the rules. Right. Exactly. And again, I always live by the 80-20 rule. If 80% of my life, my practice life, my personal life is kind of under control, cool, you know, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all right with that. I know that 20% of the time, somebody's going to cut me off in, in traffic. Somebody's going to do something that's out of my control. Somebody's going to show up, you know, and really wreck the whole day. They're going to be, it's going to be a complaining client, you know, an argument in the lobby, something like that. But if it's 20% of my life, Becky, I think that's manageable. If it were 80% of my life that's out of control, I'm burning out. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. And, and again, I think as managers, um, and practice owners, we have to remember that there's, you know, life is happening for our folks inside and out of the clinic. And, you know, life can feel really out of control. And work is somewhere we try to have a little bit of control, some semblance of control. And and sometimes I do think that's why our, our type A selves do like to come into work and we are very difficult to, um, you know, cope with change. And we do have a hard time with change and insecurity within the clinic. It's it's it truly is our life. It's 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 what we're, we bleed. It's what we breathe. It's what we eat and sleep. We think about our patients. We think about our clinics, our coworkers as support staff members. You know, we think about our veterinarians. We really worry about them and making sure we are making them happy and that, that their job is easier because we are doing such a good job at ours. We pride ourselves on that. And so, um, you know, having some semblance of control in that building, it is really important to the support staff. And so when you as managers and as practice owners kind of open that vision up a little bit and say, how can I make this so that there is that element of control for them and that element of autonomy for them? It is going to pay you back. Like this is something you're doing for your employees that is everyone is winning. And I guess that's why I struggle so much with like why we don't have more of these types of systems in place out there, because I feel like this is this is like a no brainer. Everyone wins. Wow. That just uh, sparked a, a memory here. A couple of months ago, Viewfinders and Becky, I was at a conference and we had a, a quick little lunch. You know, here I am trying to figure out what's vegan. right? So it's like a little bit of lettuce and some water. OK, so I'm sitting down at this table and there's an <laughs> older gentleman there. And I guess he knew who I was and kind of knew what I was all about. And I think he kind of wanted to razz me a little bit during lunch. So anyway, uh so we're sitting down. He goes, hey, Ernie, 
I heard y'all, you're doing one of these wellness talks. Said, yeah, it's pretty cool. We're talking about workplace wellness, the importance of, you know, emphasizing, you know, kind of what's going on emotionally, physically, you know, spiritually with our staff, how it can improve, you know, practice and patient care and all that stuff. He goes, he goes, you know, here's what, here's what bothers me. He goes, I don't understand why we're just now talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. He goes, I don't know if, if your generation just got soft or, or my generation just, you know, got tired of dealing with y'all, but why, why is everybody talking about it now? And I, I sat there for a second because, you know, it's like, dude, I'm just trying to eat my lettuce and drink my water. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I don't right. really, you know, I got to go lecture the rest of the afternoon. So I, I wanted to not like engage in this big debate, uh, you know, like we were talking about in our uh, politics and the practice <laughs> episode not too long ago. But viewfinders, I sat there and I go, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to answer this as truthfully uh, and authentically as possible. I said, you know, I, honestly, I think it's because my generation is actually taking over the profession. And so we were called the slackers. We really started to focus on work-life balance. We now have this next generation or two behind us that also emphasizes. I said, honestly, I think it's just the conversation is now being catalyzed because ownership is shifting. And, uh, you know, I could tell he really didn't like that answer because, you know, obviously I'm saying it's just different, you know. Um, and look, I applaud uh, the boomers. I really do. And I get the whole work hard, you know, even work hard, play hard ethos. But it doesn't lead for a balanced life. My generation X, the slackers, the latchkey generation, you know, we watch divorce rates in some areas go to 70 percent, you know, so. I think that a lot of my generation said, like you said earlier, Becky, it's like, you know, look, we went through a bunch of crap and we don't want to put that on anybody else. I think why is the conversation being entered now? It's because the people in power, which is starting with my generation and now some of the millennials, the older millennials, were going, hey, this is important. I mean, am I off my rocker or should I should I've thrown my lettuce? (laughs) You should have thrown your lettuce either way. Let's be clear. But I mean. You know, I think it's just a good conversation to have and to, you know, honestly um, talk about it openly and calmly and to to say things like that. Like it it is important to say, I I think it is just that there's more of us out there and this is more of a concern. And um, no, it's not anything you did and it's not anything we did. It's just it's just a shift. And we're going to spend less time thinking about why it is and more more time thinking about what it is and how we can. change with the times and be relevant instead of um, being resistant and um, perhaps, you know, um, a little, I'm not sure I have a a, a really nice noun, (laughs) you know, but but to be obstinate, maybe against it and to just say like, instead of being so resistant, maybe this looks important to a lot of people. How do I get on board? Right. And then the final thing uh, before we wrap up viewfinders, I want to point out, I, I mentioned at the outset that one of the things that wasn't reported about enough with the Microsoft story was the reduction elimination of what they considered unnecessary or extremely long um, meetings. And so at first you're sitting there listening on, we don't have a lot of meetings in our practice. How I applied it to my personal life was the things that aren't actually being productive. So are there things that you have to do in your work your tasks, your responsibilities that you just don't feel as productive about. And I know we've talked about this innumerable times on the podcast, Becky, but it's really about now, are we as efficient as possible in the workplace? Does that make some sense? Yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, the thing about it is, is I don't know, I guess it's sort of a, it's, it's a beat, it's an old drum, right? Like we've, we've beat that drum to death to some extent out there where it's like proven over and over again. Um, I don't, I don't know that it necessarily is, 
how we go about things. And, and, and I don't know, I guess I don't have the answer, right? Like, I don't know how to merge these two ways of thinking. I don't know how to bring the old school of thought on board, but you know, we do have to look at this from all these angles. You know, I used to say in my lectures, the thing that I listened for most in my clinics and in clinics, when I was invited to go do consulting, I would listen to what were people asking for on the treatment floor. So when people were saying, and you heard me say this many times, Becky, when people are going, hey, can somebody hand me the alcohol swabs or where are the 22 gauge needles or can you hand me that over there? Anytime I heard that, that told me that from an ergonomic standpoint, there was an inefficiency in play. And so when somebody asked me to bring them something or where is something, I realized it needs to be more accessible. So those are like the simple little efficiency steps that we've discussed here on the podcast and and other places. But you know, it's that, that's the, those are the meetings that Microsoft was eliminating or reducing by half. There are all those little small things add up. And I I remember Becky, Laura, back when she used to lecture, she lectured at AVMA uh, a couple of times. And I remember her giving this talk on like, what was it? Finding minutes to make the hours or something. And so her, her talk was around, okay, what we really did was we looked at the efficiencies of like, how do we sterilize packs and how do we clean cages and when do we clean cages and how do we stock shelves and who stocks shelves and how do we manage inventory and who manages inventory, right? And she said, what we did was we found minutes through all of these little tasks that added up to hours each day saved right? And so we were always of the mindset of how can we be as efficient as possible? How can we eliminate as many steps in a process? You know, back to my old lectures where you've seen me go through the steps of the appointment. You know, we start with appointment scheduling and the welcome and the medical history and the examination and the review of findings and blah, blah, blah. Like what we were actually doing was saying, how do we make each of those little steps within a longer pathway as efficient as possible? That's getting back to the being more efficient like Becky said from the very beginning, being able to get all of your work done, arguably in less time, and then that gives you more time to do something that maybe brings more joy to your life or helps you recover or de-stress. And Becky, can you finish up with that? Let's talk about, it's not just about time off to go home and crash and try to recover. You really need to use that time better. Yeah, yeah. And I agree with what you're saying about I think looking at those efficiencies around the hospital are probably going to resonate more than like meeting times, right? Because on the support staff level, maybe we aren't spending as much time in meetings as we are on the corporate level. But that's exactly right. Like, there are so many little places that we could be more efficient. And I I know Miss Laura is probably could write an entire and probably should write an entire book on those. But that's exactly it, too. And I I lecture on this as well in work-life balance. Um, one of the number one key things I've learned uh, from literally a psychological standpoint is come home and change. Every time I do this lecture, there's there's people in the audience. and I say, how many of you, you know, are basically, you know, taking your scrub pants off right before you go to bed and like hands up everywhere? You know, um, we we don't transition from work to home and we don't transition ourselves physically and mentally and it is so important to prioritize uh, that time, to to be present in that time. And here's the thing, and I don't mean this to sound like a, a hard nose or, or to sound rude or mean or ugly. No one's going to do this for you. Relaxation is not this like blissful state that rains down upon us, okay? Like you have to create your own self-care. You have to prioritize your own self-care. You have to prioritize your own time. You have to work through your guilt or your um, hangups around not being at work and having a day off and wondering if they're okay. They're fine. That building is fine every time you walk back in it. We as a support staff members tend to live at work for a lot of different reasons. 
And we've got to break that cycle um, and be truly present in our time off. Our families are counting on us. Our long-term health is counting on us. Um, and, and as managers, you have to make sure you're facilitating that because that is your long-term employee. That is your long-term happiness. And that is your overall clinic culture. Wow. And viewfinders, we are counting on you to, to share these messages with your colleagues, to give us a review on iTunes. I know that sounds shameless, but the reality is it's we do <laughs> depend on you. Only you can do this for us. Becky, I got to tell you, this has really been an enlightening conversation. I appreciate you uh, you know, taking the time. Once again, after three years of doing this, I'm always amazed that you show up and make these podcasts. because I, <laughs> I, ha I haven't not showed up. Oh, well, that one time. But, um, you know, I love doing this. I, I love advocating. And honestly, I love just hearing from our, our viewfinders out there, people who are doing this out in, in the clinic and seeing this work or, you know, um, getting those messages that say, hey, I really needed this and this helped. And here's how I implement that or the other. We're a community, guys. And um, the whole point of this is just for us to, to be able to be part of that community and help this community feel more connected. Yeah. So are you working too much? Do you feel the hours are draining your life away? Do you feel like you are part of Generation Burnout? Let us know on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder and on Twitter at Vet Viewfinder. <laughs> Give us a review on iTunes. It means the world to us. It's how we continue to, to reach other colleagues. And again, thank you, Viewfinders, for loyally listening to us muddle through thoughts and words for the past three years. Bye. Bye.